Good afternoon, Quakes fans, or maybe a bad afternoon after the Quakes drop a tough one to the Dynamo at PNC Stadium. The Earthquakes actually led in this one, two to one, but let it get away through some really questionable defending tonight. But the attack at the same time looked much better, generated uh, goals and expected goals this time. Special guest here for just a bit until Asher Cohn can join us, Sean Steffen. Welcome to the show. Uh, Sean and I had a conversation earlier this week, and he's going to check our Quakes uh, uh, biases and uh, give us some perspective from maybe the Dynamo performance in the match. And of course, as always, Alex Morgan. Alex, I'm going to start with you. Uh, Give me a rundown of 4-3 chaotic, frenetic uh, affair. I felt that the the Quakes got the Dynamo to play the game that they kind of wanted to play, which was to kind of get them into that type of frenetic, chaotic game. And I think from the perspective of a road loss, there's they'll probably like a lot in this game. But man, at times things just defensively collapsed. What stood out to you more, the 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 attack improving or the defensive collapses? It was the defenses collapses that stood out to me uh, more, Jamie. There were obviously a lot of positives in the attack. I thought for the first time uh, you could tell what they were trying to do going forward. They had lots of. Uh, switches across the field. They were trying to get the ball uh, into the wide areas and then play play into the middle. Jeremy Obobese linked up with the midfield really well. He obviously had two uh, great finishes and for the first time, I think, really showed what he's capable of for San Jose. Uh, and I think that makes uh, the, lo- the loss even tougher to take, right? Because even when they're doing so many things right going forward, uh, they don't have uh, the cohesion in order to put together a win and the defensive lapses were awful. I thought Francisco Calvo had an awful game. Uh, he obviously had a couple egregious giveaways, but it wasn't even that. I think it was more the, the, the work rate and the willingness to track back that uh, upset me about Calvo's performance. I thought that Tanner Beeson looked hopelessly lost at the back. There were so many times when he stepped up and just got caught in no man's land. And Houston Dynamo had had so many chances to get in behind uh, JT Marshankowski once again, came up with a couple of big saves, but uh, it wasn't enough because uh, the, the defense looked really poor. And, and that's something that's been kind of uh, in the background for the first uh, four or five games of the season. I think most of the focus that we've been talking on on the show has been the offense because they hadn't scored any goals from open play. Uh, but the defense also has a lot of issues that need to be addressed. And even though it's a, a pretty solid lineup on paper, I think, uh, with uh, Paul Marie and uh, Tanner Beeson, and Francisco Cabo and uh, Marcus Lopez. Uh, something's not working back there, Jamin. Asher is going to join us very soon here. I uh, just heard from him, and he said that he is arriving back at his house. Unfortunately, could not find a quiet place to be able to do the show from the stadium, so got out of there quickly, uh, went home, and uh, is pulling in and getting the computer ready to go. But uh, for right now, Sean Stefan, who joined me midweek to talk about this game. Sean, again, check our Quakes biases here. What do you what do you think the Dynamo are going to look back at this game as? Is it going to be a success because of four goals? Are they going to see some failures yeah. because of giving up three goals here? Because there were some breakdowns on their end as well. Yeah, it, this is going to be a tough one because again, we, we talked about uh, in the pregame we talked or the pregame show we talked about how the Dynamo have a lot of question marks, and one of them was how much space are they going to give up when it's Darwin and Coco in the midfield? And we saw today how good they are at passing. 
my goodness, the amount of times they got Fafa and Pasher in behind from either one of those two with those three balls was breathtaking. They did some incredible stuff tonight, but they also gave up some space and we saw them give up those goals. So I'm not really sure where they're going to come away with this. I don't know how they're going to make all this fit together, especially with Hector Herrera coming in. Who sits? Does anyone sit? Do they move Darwin out wide? There's there's a lot to there's a lot of intrigue in this team. I think we saw a lot of what we talked about, and that is they're they're just fun. Coco and Darwin together are such good passers. They're really fun. We saw that today. We saw so many so, so precise balls, so many one two plays, and um, this is a team now, and it's it's just fun. There's no other word for it. Yeah, the Dynamo uh, certainly looked much improved over last season already. And again, Darwin Quintero being out there, uh, even though he gives up a bit defensively, you know, what he creates in the attack uh, and it is so much. And he got that really important goal before the half. And, and Alex, I think from a Quakes fan perspective, you mentioned Francisco Calvo. There are good things that Francisco Calvo does on the pitch. I think it's easy when you see uh, Calvo to kind of dismiss it as all good or all bad. But you know what? He's got like a lot of ends of both ends of that spectrum at times. Like there's some really good passes from him that keyed uh, attacks tonight. But there also is kind of some of the, the defense. And, and for me, it was not so much on that second goal that he took it off the chest and it was a poor touch and, and, and all that. What actually I think was disappointing is how much more uh, the uh, the Dynamo and, and in particular Darwin Quintero worked to get to that ball to be able to get that shot off and how Calvo was just jogging and trailing him and you noticed this before anyone in the in the group chat give us your perspective on on you know kind of what you saw a little bit more in in these situations tonight yeah like if you're not willing to put in the effort and the work to maintain a lead you're not going to be able to do that and that's what happened on that second goal for the Dynamo is Cabo lost the ball in the midfield uh, and then he didn't track back and he let uh, Quintero win that uh, rebound right outside the box and put the ball in the back of the net. It wasn't only Cabo, it was also Jan Gregus in the middle, uh, but that was just a lack of effort uh, from the Quakes and and that's not good enough. And uh, I, I think he saw that around the, the field tonight. Uh, it just doesn't seem like they have the, the confidence or the motivation to go and win those balls. And uh, I, I think that uh, right now, the, the mentality of the team is still very fragile. Uh, and uh, it looks like after they concede, uh, they're putting their heads down and they're struggling uh, to find ways to, to pick up uh, the motivation and to, to get a, a run of form going. It almost, it almost felt like they were surprised when they finally uh, put the ball on the back of the net when Jeremy Obosi scored that first goal. It was like a, a new feeling for this team, uh, but obviously it didn't last very long, Jim. Yeah, one of the things that I noticed tonight is that there were a lot of times where the Quakes were playing the line-breaking pass, and Sean, you'll appreciate this, because they, they were getting between the Dynamo lines at times on yeah. the ball, and for odd reasons, instead of going forward in that situation, and you know how hard it is and how much you work to get between the lines and, and be able to receive the ball there, all of a sudden, they go backwards. Uh, I mentioned in the group chat that if I had a dollar for every time they did that tonight, I probably would have a pretty good pizza. Uh, you know, to, 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 to buy because it happened several times in the first half. And, and there was a, even a mention about uh, on the wings, how often the Quakes had an opportunity to attack up the wings and then decided to pull the ball back and, uh, you know, kind of lacked that courage at times to be able to go forward, maybe too concerned about losing the ball 
uh, and a counterattack situation happening. Um, Sean, from your perspective, from your analytical perspective, and what you were you were seeing, uh, you know, did you find that 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 the quakes were too tentative as much as quakes fans thought? I think so. Yeah, because um, I was watching back on the golds and. They, they really came off, um, I wouldn't call them a quick play, but they came off of quick play after a switch, right? So once they're switched, they find the space on the side. It doesn't take them long to then um, use that space to get in, to get the service in. And you didn't see enough of that tonight. You know, that should be, you know, a clue you've talked about that's like they play better at speed. And I think even in this like slow buildup, they found ways to play quickly at speed at times and it worked and it caught the, the dynamo off guard for sure. And then when they didn't play at speed, the, you know, pretty yeah. much the yeah. turnovers happened. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, that's when that tends to be when nothing comes, you know, from those situations or you have very hopeful shots. And we saw a few of those tonight, too, Alex. Yeah, and look, I think this was a, a really interesting performance because it showed what the Quakes are capable of. It, it showed what we should be expecting of them week in, week out. We know that they're capable of playing quickly through the middle like that. We know that they have the finisher up top. And Jeremy Obobese. We know that in the middle they have the creativity with Montero and the, the dynamic movement in the middle was really good in a lot of those quick transitions. And so that's what they should be doing week in and week out. And that's the level at which they can be playing. And for them to be bottom of the table right now with two points below every other team in Major League Soccer is not good enough. And ultimately the blame for that still lies in, in Matias Almeida. And I think that there's a comment here that really resonates with me, which is that it's hard to be motivated for a coach talking about leaving every few weeks. And I think that's absolutely true. I think the the fact that Matias Almeida has put so much blame on this roster, he's complained so much about the roster construction, about the ownership and about the direction of this club makes it hard for the players to stay motivated. And I, I think that might be some of the, the issues that we're seeing. And joining us now from the stadium, well, not anymore, uh, but he not was the there tonight. I, I, I shared a picture as, as proof on the Quakes Up Center account. Asher Cohn, Asher, uh, you know, welcome to this is your first aftershock of the season. So uh, welcome back for another uh, season and say hi to Sean Steffen, uh, former Dynamo analyst up there in the corner, uh, who's uh, who's grace, graciously joining us for a few minutes here uh, while we we're waiting for you. But Asher, give us your perspective being there in person. Uh, the Quicks finally found Jeremy Abobasi at times tonight, a brace for him. And there were other kind of dangerous situations that he was involved in. So that connection with Jeremy Bovesi working a bit better. But man, the defensive collapses just overshadow a lot of the good that came out of the offensive side of the performance. You know, seeing it in person, you know, how did you kind of weigh things tonight? Um, yeah, Washington Generals, man. Uh, the uh, Quakes did a really good job being the heel, being the bad guys for 90 odd minutes. But um no, Bobasi was a threat. It's not a very good Dynamo backline. They finally realized that he's a better jumper than 99% of MLS. Um, so that was great. But the team just doesn't look organized, doesn't look like they have a plan of attack or a plan of defense. And, um, yeah, you know, they looked outcoached. Nagamura is a new coach to MLS. He's super young. I remember him playing. And it was very clear what he wanted to do. Just defend, keep people behind the ball. Don't let Calvin Espinosa behind him and uh, take your chances attacking, getting Calvo on his heels. And it worked. It worked great. And uh, yeah, San Jose never really seemed to be able to figure out what to do about that. That was the night. Let me let me ask you a quick question about that. Let's stay with you for a second here and give you give you an, another round. Um, 
One of the things that I noticed is that uh, the Dynamo seemed to welcome the pressure from the Quakes. So the Quakes were counter-pressing quite a bit tonight and sometimes had four or five you know, men chasing the ball. Most teams don't tend to counter-press, Sean knows this, with four or five players at one time. That's a lot. They were very determined to try to get that ball. And then the ball would go back to Clark or to one of the center backs and they would put it forward. And now the Quakes were at a numerical disadvantage in the middle of the field. And some of these counterattacks, you know, started off of that kind of situation. I want to say it was, I can't remember. I think it was the, uh, the, the fourth or third or fourth dynamo goal that uh, came off of one of those situations. And there was a couple really dangerous situations that happened in the first half. What were you kind of, you know, seeing there in terms of like the pressure the Quicks were trying to provide and the way the Dynamo were, were dealing with it? Um, yeah, so I should say, um, sorry, starting off super negative. It's a weird stadium press box. The press box is kind of yes, it is. in. Yeah, thanks, Sean. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's kind of, uh, so in the second half, I was basically at um, Mark Sinkowski's left, so maybe 30 feet from the field. So I couldn't really figure out what was going on very easily. I kept on checking the screen. Um, you know, I, I saw no replays. Um, it's a weird situation, but um, yeah, I they counterpressed with a lot of, so like San Jose would kind of press forward with like four or five guys, but they didn't seem to know what the other five, six, like it seemed very like Liga Mackey style, five on five guys back, five guys attacking, and like no real connection between the two. Um, it looked like that all night, and it seemed like Houston was really ready to exploit those holes. I think the midfield, you know, Grey Goose played well within his abilities, Yule played well, but um, they're kind of asked to be everywhere at once. Montero was trying to press everything, but he would get really frustrated with just not seeing his press follow through. Uh, it just looked like it looked like a game one or preseason game. I mean, the past five games have looked like that. Like they're still trying to figure it out. And uh, every other team has an identity, has a plan of attack, plan of how to get through the games. It just doesn't look like San Jose has that. So uh, one of the things, uh, you know, from uh, from the stats tonight, Sean, while we've got you on uh, for a couple more minutes here before the press conference starts, uh, the expected goals, 1.63 for the uh, for the Quakes to 1.43 for the Dynamo. That's according to, to FOTMOB. Uh, 18 total shots for the Quakes, 12 for the Dynamo, 7 on target for the Quakes to 4 for the Dynamo. I've you know, the numerical... There's yeah. some good numerical advantages there for the for the earthquakes, but it felt like they couldn't quite uh, take enough advantage of it and just gave up too much on the defensive side in terms of some of these transitions. What were, what did you see in uh, in some of these uh, kinds of transition situations? It was a very wide open game tonight. Yeah, I mean, I think this game was all about space because there wasn't a lot of. Um, well, I mean, it's because the Dynamo sat back uh, exactly as Asher said. So anytime that ball turned over, they would try to get a Coco or they try to get a Darwin and spring those wingers. That seemed to be the plan, and it worked really well for them. I would say that um, from the XG side, let me look. I have the timeline of it right here. Once the Dynamo went up four uh, two, uh, you had two opportunities from the Quakes that were above twenty five percent. So it's kind of a bit bit game steady where once you're down two, you really need to start pushing it. So I think XG. Um, from a game state standpoint, lies a little bit on that. I think it was probably more fair to put that closer. But for a game where it's four to three and neither team breaks two XG, you know, it's entertaining soccer, but it's not necessarily the the crazy game from a statistical standpoint. 
Yeah, it's a, definitely 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 not a defensive uh, struggle, right? Uh, exactly. So to speak, um, you know, there's uh, there's some uh, you know good stuff going on here in the chat. So let's take a look at some of the uh, chat tonight. Uh, Daniel Roberts says he'd like to see Agron play. He can't do any worse than that performance. You know, Asher, it was something that you were mentioning in the uh, in the chat uh, tonight. Is that uh, you you know there was an adjustment period that you had Tanner Beeson needed to go through when he made his way into MLS. Um, and at this point, is the defensive performance dire enough that you think they should take a chance on a rookie and giving him an opportunity and giving Agron a start, uh, you know, in order to get him onto the pitch and to see what he can do? Are we that desperate at this point to, to put a rookie on and start him? If you're asking me directly, my direct answer is yes. Um, I mean, Houston just kept Quintero in Cabo's blind spot and just kept on waiting for the ball to get back to him. They knew Quintero was not going to beat him on a header. Um, but they, they just knew that he just leaves acres of space around him. And you can't do that as an MLS center back. And I know that, you know, Jamin, I feel like we should hash it out one time over whether Cabo's a net benefit or net negative. He does do a lot of great passing. He's super athletic, but he doesn't do things that a center back needs to do. And that's really, um, you know, the, it, they just need the entire team needs to kind of organize. It's almost like with trophies in the attack, the entire team needs to organize their attack around how trophies is going to take the ball. I think Don Quintero is a very similar player for Houston. And it's almost like San Jose has to be ready to like panic once Calvo makes a mistake and they have to be ready to scramble backwards. And that's, forcing um, players playing, you know, like Rometty's really good at kind of like winning second balls and getting back in defense. Rometty's not good at other things, but you kind of need him in there in support. Um, yeah, I think that it's time for a change. I think Calvo, you know, Minnesota fans, Fire fans would say the same thing. I was for his signing. I thought he was going to be a depth piece for Lopez and Beeson, but because of Nathan injury, uh, because he impressed in camp, what have you, um, he's become – you're a 90-odd minute guy, which isn't that player. And look, Jamin, I, I think that it's important to withhold some judgment on these players because I think each one of these players is better than they have looked in the last five games. And honestly, I trust Tanner Beeson uh, more than I trust Matias Almeida. I think that if you have a tactical change, if you have a coaching change, then you can get more out of Tanner Beeson and even more out of Francisco Calvo as well. And I thought... The one thing I will say about Tanner Beeson's performance uh, that, that I think the Dynamo really exploited uh, was his tendency to dive in and to make a lot of blocks. And sometimes that works really well. He's made a lot of spectacular goal line clearances uh, in his MLS career. But what the Dynamo did well today was faking their shots. Beeson would go to ground and then they just have a, a basically one on one open uh, net situation to put the ball in the back of the net. So that's, that, that is one, I think, area of weakness that Beeson has. Uh, and I think it was exacerbated by the fact that uh, Francisco Calvo, uh, you know, is, it, it, it has all of these uh, spacing issues. And I, I think they were a particularly poor combination today. Let's stick, in, stick with you a little bit here, Alex. Uh, Kyle makes a point here that often the ball was forced onto Beeson's right foot, which led to an awkward pass or a turnaround to goal. Do we need to give Tanner Beeson a little bit of a pass because he's having to play, you know, on the right side and it is kind of uh, forcing him into some awkward situations that maybe he's not as used to dealing with here? Or, hey, you know what? Third year in MLS, suck it up, 
you know, we got an injury. You got to play the right center back position. Uh, you know, he, he, he needs to, he needs to kind of show up in these situations and we're used to him being Mr. Cool back there to take some of these situations and help diffuse them. And it seemed like sometimes he added a little bit of gasoline to the fire tonight. And I'm wondering how much of that is him, you know, having to play on the right side. We have heard from people like, you know, Carl Carpenter and others that asking a player who's been on the left side their entire life to all of a sudden play on the right side is not as easy as it would seem to be. Everything is now backwards from what you're used to. And the players that you got used to covering on the left side in the first couple of years of your career, you're now dealing with a different set of players you know, on the right. Not only that, but you're supposed to be able to play these passes now out with your right foot in order to be able to, to play the ball out of the back. Um, you know, kind of how much, how much, uh, you know, rope should we give Beeson here? And, and what do you think is, is the right answer back there, at least until Nathan gets back? Well, look, Kyle's absolutely right. There were too many times when the ball was forced onto Beeson's right foot uh, and he played a under hit pass or a misplaced pass or, or panicked on the ball. And that caused problems. I thought that the connection between him and Paul Marie looked really, really shaky back there. Uh, I, I would be curious um, to see what would happen if they switched uh, Beeson and Francisco Calvo. We've seen that Matias Almeida is more than willing to switch his wingers to, to in, within this game. You saw Cade Cowell and Christian Espinosa switch sides. And I think that that is uh, just as significant uh, a change and a tactical change uh, as it is to switch the two center backs. So uh, I'd be interested to see what it would look like with Beeson on the left center back position and Calvo on the right center back position, because Calvo does have more experience and he might be uh, more experienced and uh, more able to, to smoothly make that transition. All right. I'm told, I believe that uh, it looks like it's going to be Jeremy Abobasi joining us first in the press conference. So uh, Sean, so we don't completely surprise you. What's actually going to happen is Alex and I uh, kind of have to uh, like jump out and do the press conference, but we keep it rolling here. You're more than welcome if you have something else you think you want to add after the uh, the presser. Well, it looks like we're going to get a chance first to talk to Jeremy Abobasi, who had the brace tonight. And I'm waiting to see. It says we're going on air. Let's see if it actually happens. Nope. They just went back to the other, other screen. So not yet uh, getting a chance to start. But, Sean, uh, let me put this to you. You've probably watched a lot of Jeremy Abobasi, you know, over the years. Um, as a U.S. national team fan, if nothing else, it's got to be good to see him uh, start to finally put the balls in the back of the net. Uh, again, he got a penalty last week, helped the confidence, obviously, a little bit. He seemed pretty engaged in the game tonight. Like, as a, as a watcher of him over the years, just kind of what did you see from Abobasi? Oh, you're on mute. You're on mute, Sean. Sorry, I'm new to this software. Um, I, clean would be the word I would use if, if you ask oh, me. And word. Jeremy Bobasi is joining us right now. If you want to hold that thought, you're welcome. Welcome to stick around. Go straight into questions, starting with Alex Morgan. Go ahead, Alex. Hi, Jeremy. Thank you for joining us today, and congratulations on uh, the two goals. Um, you know what went well tonight in the attack you know you had two goals your first two goals for the team from open play uh this season uh you know what do you think the difference was tonight uh going forward i think there has been a concerted effort over the last three weeks or so really since we started uh encountering these difficulties in games to 
diversify the manner of service into the box, into our front three, uh, establishing better spacing so that we can be in more dominant positions uh, relative to defenders. And today, what we noticed with the back line was that the positions that they took uh, made it possible for certain spaces to pop up. And so a credit to the guys who, who executed on the wide play to get the ball into good good spots. You know, they're not always going to be goals or, or shots on target, but thankfully today, I think there was a conviction from everyone on those plays to finish off and, and set ourselves up in a decent position, which brings me to, there were a lot of good moments, but it feels like a refrain at this point to continue to seek the positivity in uh, some difficult results, ultimately. Uh, not seeing out the first half, being in a position to see out the first half up to one uh, is definitely a positive, but then not being able to close out those final minutes puts us a little bit on the back foot in the second half. Uh, disappointingly, some set piece goals that we conceded. So if we can put together bit by bit of the positivity, and, and there was a lot of positives tonight, then results should start coming our way. And although it's tough right now, I, I firmly believe that. Thank you. Next up, Jamin Moore. Unmuted. Hi, Jeremy. Thank you for taking the time to meet with us, us after a tough loss. Congratulations on the brace and condolences on the loss. Um, the uh, A lot of times you guys found yourself uh, putting a lot of pressure on the Dynamo deep, but having them then play over the pressure and then getting the benefit you know, of a bounce here, a second ball here, and then springing on the counterattack. Um, what elements of that were what you wanted from the game plan and, and what elements of it do you feel that you need to sharpen up in order to make, uh, make that type of, uh, counter pressing pursuit more effective? Thank you. Muted. I think as it relates to specifics, it's, I'm going to have to digest the game and, and rewatch those key moments before I can, uh, comment on them in an educated fashion, but based on the counter pressure that we had tonight and a few unfortunate bounces in those scenarios or, or perhaps lucky flick-ons by them that ended up in spaces that they weren't necessarily intending, but they were able to make use out of. That's just part of the game. And we can take a look at the angles with which and the reaction time with which we approach the ball and whether we were all on the same page in order to compress the space. But we also have to recognize that uh, those those moments happen and, and we need to find ways to limit them and turn those uh, fortunate bounces into our own favor because when we are able to win the ball high up the field, that's where we've got guys out wide who are electric with their speed and with their decision-making. And you know we've got guys in the middle of the field that, that want to get the ball in the box and either dribble or finish one time. Thank you, Jamin. Next up, we have a question from Fabian Brankel. He asks, despite the final result, what does it mean to you personally to score your two goals tonight? I think it's tough to get too high on scoring in a defeat because ultimately it's a defeat. It's one that doesn't 
advance the team's goals. And if the team's goals aren't advancing, then my individual goals aren't either. Uh, hopefully, when we score three goals, that means that we're going to be able to win more games than not. So if our offense can continue to produce multiple goal games and we're able as a collective, because defense starts from the top, if we're able to better manage games defensively, then there will be other days where these goals mean a lot more to me. Other people's goals mean a lot more to me than they did tonight. Thank you, Jeremy. Uh, let's take a few more. Uh, and we'll now go back to Alex Morgan. Hi, Jeremy. Thanks for taking another question. You know, the Quakes have been in this situation before in the past couple of years, you know, struggling to get results at the bottom of the table. Um, but for you, this might be more new uh, to be in this situation, considering, you know, you spent a lot of your career uh, at, at very successful teams. Uh, what do you think uh, is missing right now? What do you think the difference is, um, you know, between those more successful teams that can, uh, can strive to be at the top of the table more and, and the situation that you guys are in now, especially in a game where, you know, you show a lot of positive elements but are really struggling to put together one whole cohesive performance? Well, when you look at Portland's body of work, during my time there, we didn't have the best starts to most seasons. In 2017, I think we started four and one before going on a on a bit of a tough streak. Uh, 2018, we struggled at the beginning. 2019, we struggled at the beginning with a lot of road games. 2020, you know, the pandemic gave us a break from uh, some of the early season struggles, but we were not the team that uh, we ended up being, winning the bubble and finishing towards the top of the West. 2021 up and down start. So this isn't necessarily unfamiliar territory. And we all know that this league is very equal. You know, teams can invest as much as they want in, you know, their facilities, their players, their team environments in general. But regardless of what they do, there's going to be a slight difference at most between teams. So we just need to believe in what we're doing, uh, acknowledge that we're missing uh, a little bit of execution on both ends of the field. But it takes one moment, one game to turn a difficult situation around. And as you alluded to, I've been a part of some successful seasons. In those seasons, after the difficult moments, we were able to go through a period of, of multiple wins, playing the way we want to play, making teams fear us. And there's nothing in those teams that this team doesn't have that this team can't do. So it's on us to really believe in ourselves and allow that belief to lead to execution. And one final question from Jamin. Unmuted. And Jeremy, like the uh, the teams that you have played on before that uh, many of them were very successful uh, teams that had pace and counterattacked, it feels like with the players that you have in the attack in this team, you should be able to be more successful than you have been playing with speed and, and being able to get in behind defenses and, and counterattack. Why do you think this team has struggled with that? You're, you're, you've you faced a number of counterattacking opportunities on the defensive side, but in the attack, it seems like defenses are getting very set on you before you have the opportunity sometimes to be able to take advantage of the situations. 
Uh, what do you think needs to improve in order to be able to take more advantage of the speed that you have up top with yourself and Christian and Kate and others? Thank you. Muted. Well, again, I think there have been moments where we've been able to execute and leverage those advantages. Just generally speaking, the ability to execute on those advantages will be dependent on finding key passes as soon as we win the ball, which means for me being in a good spot to be a release outlet and for the wingers to push on and, and use their speed. I think the way teams approach us and defend us, oftentimes dropping back as soon as we're on the counterattack is a testament to the pedigree and the success that the various players, both in the front three tonight and then who have stepped into to the field throughout the, the last six to 12 months. I think it's a testament to what has been done, how threatening players have been that now they see this as a weapon that they want to uh, nullify as quickly as possible. So it's on us to get creative and to find ways to not be one dimensional. And I have no doubt that we will, as, as we've shown tonight in the attack, I thought against Austin, we were, we were on the right track, uh, though not but we'll, we'll approach it with the confidence that we should have given the players that we have and the ability that, that we can show. Uh, thank you, Jeremy. Uh, Matias Amida will uh, not be joining us tonight. However, we'll be having defender Tommy Thompson uh, joining us here momentarily. So thank you for your patience. Thank you all. Okay, so uh, I'm not sure if uh, people caught that at the very end. Unfortunately, my, uh, my screen kind of did a reload there. We just heard Alex uh, get your re your uh, reaction to this. Some of the fans were saying, "Hey, we don't want to. Uh, we don't want to hear from Matias anyway." Well, it turns out he doesn't want to talk to us. Uh, so no Matias Almeida tonight. Again, I want to point this out uh, because I know that people from the Quakes front office are listening, and I think it's important for us to 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 point this out. Uh, he did not join us for a midweek press conference. He is not joining us tonight. He is in violation of league media policy for doing so. And I believe he should be fined, if not suspended, for continuing to, to violate uh, these, uh, these policies. Uh, this is not the first time he's done it. And when the time uh, times get tough, it, he's done it before. And I do call upon the, the front office to have a conversation with Matias and to get him back in uh, compliance with the league policies regardless of our desire to talk to him or not, doesn't really matter. Uh, what matters is that uh, he's not above the rules of this league. So I'm gonna, I'm just gonna say that out loud and uh, make sure that uh, anyone from the front office listening hears my perspective on that. With that, Alex, over to you. No Matias Almeida, but we will be getting to talk to the uh, one of the other goal scorers, actually the other goal scorer tonight, uh, Tommy Thompson. Uh, Alex, what did you, uh, what did you take from, uh, uh, that that uh, uh, conversation with Jeremy Bobasi there. I mean, Jeremy Bobasi was very insightful as always. Uh, I thought it was interesting to hear from him about the uh, different things they're doing up top in, in regards to uh, their offensive strategies. He said they were trying to 
uh, get the ball into the box uh, in more different ways. I thought that the insight that he offered uh, in that press conference was, uh, you know, more useful than anything we've heard from Matias Almeida or any of the other players uh, in the past couple of weeks. But I do want to, uh, to follow up on what you said about Almeida, uh, Jamin, because he's neglecting his duties as a head coach right now. It is one of the jobs uh, and duties of a head coach to speak to the media and to be uh, a, you know, a, a voice to represent the team and the club and the organization. And in a healthy organization, uh, there is transparency. And when things are going wrong, the head coach is willing to step up uh, and answer tough questions and uh, justify what he's doing, what the plan uh, he has is. And Matias Almeida has not done that uh, for the last couple of weeks. And, you know, me and you, Jamin, have shown up for, uh, you know, as many midweek press conferences as we can uh, over the last uh, three, four years. Uh, and we've been at uh, almost every post-match press conference. And uh, Matias Almeida has ducked out of too many of them at this point. And uh, I think uh, at some point uh, it's it's disrespectful and it uh, demeans the the position that he has as head coach and the, the significance of that role within the organization. Well said, Alex. Thank you. Uh, Sean, before we uh, we lose you, wanted to give you an opportunity here, uh, not often probably that you get a chance to, to listen to uh, Jeremy Abobasi talk. The man is a future, you know, analyst in this league, uh, you know, a future coach. He's uh, he's so, so good being able to kind of articulate situations. Absolutely. And although he uh, he didn't want to take on uh, one of my questions all that directly, you know, he did give his best to answer it. You know, what did you hear from Jeremy? And, you know, you know, again, going back to kind of, uh, you know, U.S. national team and the opportunity, because there still are questions at the number nine. The opportunity may still be there for Jeremy Abobasi to have a part, you know, in a World Cup team if he really can get on a roll here. So, you know, just give us your final thoughts here uh, uh, for the evening. I'll tell you the most impressive thing he said to me, something you don't hear players uh, say a lot, um, is when he said, I don't, I'm going to have to paraphrase, uh, when he basically said, like, I, I'm going to have to go back and rewatch that and get back to you, right? Because that, that shows that studious, A, and B, just doesn't want to talk without knowing what he's talking about, right? And I think that's just a great attitude to have for players. So, And I think attitude, you know, I've worked in the sport, seen a lot of really talented people that um, on the attitude side, uh, there is a problem. And you just don't see that with him. Every time I hear him speak, I'm always impressed. And um, just from his game tonight, um, what I was saying earlier was just clean. Um, every time he was on the ball, uh, he didn't really take too many uh, poor touches. He was got in the right spaces. Just a good, just a good performance. Uh, there's not really much to say about it other than that. It's just good. All right, we appreciate you taking the time to join us tonight. Uh, thanks so much. Uh, it was good to talk to you midweek. And for anyone who missed it, I think there's some good stuff in there, even. Uh, even though the game has passed uh, to be able to catch. So be sure to check out my conversation with Sean. Sean, thank you for joining us tonight. Have it's a good better. rest of your evening. I know it's getting uh, late there and uh, we will uh, talk to you uh, talk to you again here soon. See you guys. Asher, also getting late for you, but uh, you know we'd like you to stay on at least until uh, Tommy uh, uh, can give us a few words here. But uh, what did you uh, get from, uh, from Jeremy's portion of the press conference today? Yeah. I'm, I'm wide awake. Don't worry about me. Um, yeah, he's such a complete. He's, 
he's not a complete player in that he's, you know, like a world-class finisher, world-class center forward. He's not there yet. He's still young. But um, one thing from, like, you know, watching him live is that he is engaged for every second of the play. He is pressing and just running after any loose ball in almost a very, like, Wondolowski-esque way, just – he is going to chase and pressure the keeper, even when the keeper's got 20 yards. It's really interesting to watch. And, you know, unlike Wadalowski, he's built like a target center forward. I mean, he holds up the ball, he checks to the ball. Um, and even in situations like, you know, in the second half where it was him and the entire Houston back line, Houston back line was terrified of him. <laughs> All four of them were following him everywhere. And he's realized, okay, I'm going to try and dribble through two guys and shoot. That's the only, that's the option right now. Uh, he recognized that was the best choice and he did it. He isn't selfish otherwise, but he recognized when it's time to be selfish. It's it's really fun to watch now that he's starting to sync up with the other players and he's starting to, you know, get yeah, I think like the two goals today, the goal last week, he's starting to kind of feel like he's more part of it. This is more his team. It's um yeah, he, he's a really fun player to watch for all 90 minutes. I wish the camera would follow him all the way around. Go ahead, Alex. And look, it makes me frustrated because this should be a game where somebody like Jeremy Obosi can celebrate, where he can, uh, you know, be optimistic about the future and, and uh, you know, be pri- uh, proud about how far he's come since the, the concussion injury that he had. You know, that was not his first concussion. Concussions are very scary and very difficult to recover from. Uh and he scored a really powerful dominant header tonight. And that made me really happy. And I was really uh, proud of all the work that he's done on and off the field to make that happen. Uh, and so this is a night where he should be able to celebrate. Uh, but he was not able to celebrate as much as he would have liked to tonight. And I think you saw in the press conference, he looked pretty downtrodden because of the result. Uh, and that makes me really frustrated because I think that, uh, you know, Matias Almeida uh, is not putting this team in a position to succeed and is not giving this team those opportunities to celebrate and show what they're really good at uh, and show how well they can play soccer. And, you know, honestly, I I think Matias Almeida skipping out on this press conference has kind of left me in a Taylor Twoman, what are we doing moment? Uh, Because this is his fourth season in charge and there's six games in the Quakes have not won a single game. Everybody else in Major League Soccer is looking at this team and wondering what the heck is going on in this organization, how it's possible that Matias Almeida is still in charge of this team. And even some guys who have supported Matias Almeida quite strongly over the last few years are now wondering what the heck is going on. Carlos Ramirez, one of our colleagues at Telemundo, just tweeted, is Matias Almeida's job on the line? Has he coached his last game with the Quakes? Everybody else in Major League Soccer has realized that this team is stuck with Matias Almeida as head coach and that it's time for Matias Almeida to go. And uh, at this point, I can't think of any other counter argument to that. Uh, I, we've gone around in circles about this point for, 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 you know, months going on years now. Uh, and I, 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 I'm struggling to see how this isn't the end of the line. Jim. Asher, I'll, to, let's be fair. You've given him a lot of rope in the past. I think you're giving him less rope now, but there's probably still some rope there. Where do you stand right now on Matias? Um, I am with I'm with you, Anna. Like it's um, you two have a very different role as people are going to the pressers talking with the team than I do, and I appreciate that's a very different thing. And you have a very different relationship with 
Almeida with the team because of that. I totally get that. Um, you know, I think compared to you two, I've given him more rope. I haven't and had, I haven't interacted with the team in that way. I uh, get that as well. But um, I mean, this is Nagamura just, he was, I just looked, he's coaching for like Kansas City 2 last year and he just totally outcoached, you know, guy who is the giant of CONCACAF tonight. It wasn't even close. I mean, it's just, it's not happening. Whatever was supposed to happen isn't happening. Um, and, you know, beyond that, when I was chatting with, um, you know, I was at the game in the press box, I was talking to some Dynamo folks, and they said that, like, internally in Houston, they loved when he was talking about, like, oh, like, Dynamo got Hector Herrera. That's a team that wants ownership that wants to win. Like, the fact that he just, like, threw that, he gifted that to Houston's and Dynamo. Um, that's, like, what they knew about San Jose. Like, oh, yeah, you have the coach who doesn't want to be there anymore. That was, like... They said, like, oh, yeah, Kate Cowell, cool teenager. Um, her good things about Aboba C and Yule. Almeida doesn't want to be there. Um, that's not good. <laughs> um, and I don't know how you turn that around, but it's, it's just real. Um, yeah, I don't know what the locker room's like. I don't interact with the team, but it, it's just seems, that seems to be the vibe in MLS. And as you said, like, it's too bad Aboba C really wanted to be, uh, like, put the team on his shoulders, center forward. He's that now. Montero really wanted to be a ball dominant 10. Um, you know, he had a really great game tonight. I think it's, he's very different personality wise than Abobas. You would see him get visually frustrated with his teammates. Um, he's a different sort of character. He reminds me a lot of Magus Harris in that regard. Uh, he got these players who are in the positions they're supposed to be doing some players. We don't, we can talk about that, but it's just not, not even just like not happening. And like, you know, like, Oh, you can see how it's sort of clicking. No, it's, it's not even, you know, it looks like preseason two months in it's just insane so um yeah i'm not i'm not the one who decides what the future is but this we're clearly not seeing the future show up ahead of us and you know something else with that Bobsy press conference i mean it was like kind of hostage video at time he, <laughs> he's cool he's like able to like talk about the thing but you could tell i, I don't know it's downtrodden just ticked um but it was yeah i don't know it, it was it can be rough it's rough We've done the Almeida discussion on here before, and I appreciate that not everyone can make every episode. So for those who, who maybe missed it before, I'll just kind of be very brief about some of the previous points we've covered on here. Why not blame the people that can fire Almeida? Well, uh, go ahead, try to fire John Fisher, but you're not going to be able to because this is a John Fisher decision. It's not going to be made by Chris Leach. It's not going to be made by, by the new president. Uh, it's going to be made by John Fisher because it is a money decision. So uh, that's the reason you want to take it to John Fisher. Football monkey, feel free. All right, let's keep moving here. Uh, who uh, who's available if Almeida is canned? Uh, I think we felt that uh, it's going to to uh, more than likely if he's if he's let go, uh, it probably would be Alex Cabello, uh, who's currently coaching the Quakes too. That would leave Quakes two in a bit of a lurch. Um, you know, uh, someone said, can we call an Ian Russell or is that tampering? I, my understanding is Ian is available right now. He's not actually coaching a team unless something's happened and, and he hasn't uh, provided an update on that. But uh, as of right now, my understanding is Ian Russell is available. But I believe Alex Cabello and bringing in the methodology that's already been used in the academy and already been, been used for several years in the academy and is doing very well uh, and has also been used uh, in Earthquakes 2 and uh, Earthquakes 2. Uh, won one, lost one, but uh, but looked good in both games. Um, you know, I think uh, bringing in Alex Cabello and making the transition into what he's doing 
I think is a good bridge to the future. I don't think Cabello is the the future full-time coach of the team. Certainly there have been rumors uh, about who that may be, uh, but I'm not going to get into that all tonight. Um, but yeah, I mean, Leach has done it before. Ian would gladly fill in. Wando could be entertaining. We talked about the Wando situation before too. Uh, Yallop in Monterey Bay, you know, hey, uh, could you get Yallop back? It's very MLS 1.0 for me. I don't think you would like the style of soccer that you would get, but probably would be uh, a good bit more defensive than what you got tonight. I'll put it that way. Um, but uh, anyway, so that's probably the situation. And certainly one of the more difficult things here is that, uh, as Mike Kleeman points out, remember, if you uh, if you let Almeida go, you're going to let an assistant coach, a GK coach, a trainer, and an entire staff. Jamin, Jamin, I don't buy that argument. That's what happens when you fire a head coach in soccer. They have their assistant coaches, they have their their goalkeeper coaches, and they have to leave, and you have to replace those people. That's what happens when most of the times those continue the rest of the year because they're not that attached to the coach. I think in this case, it's a bit different. It might be even like the the nutritionists are Almeida's people, and I think another yes. like weird situation here is like. The World Cup window as well, where you're having so teams didn't make the World Cup are now looking to the future, but you also have staff on World Cup qualified teams who are not going to give up a chance for the World Cup to coach the Quakes for 20 games. So I think whenever Almeida leaves, if it's before the end of the season, there's going to be a weird it's a weird situation. You've like this hodgepodge of guys, girls, whoever will be coming in. Get, give one, to be give one a football monkey teams. for this comment. That was a pretty good one. He's been He's been uh, he's been dissing us in the comments recently, and I, I know what he's trying to do. But uh, that's a pretty good singer Look, there. Jamie, it's unfair I, to bring in a whole new staff if you know you're gonna like recycle through them. It, it's a tough way to build loyalty. It can I'm be not, done, but it's tough. I'm not buying that argument though, because the Quakes have had years now to prepare for that transition. Chris Leach has had a whole winter knowing that that transition is gonna happen at some point in the next year, if not more imminently. So if the Quakes can't do that, uh, then that's just incompetent, right? They, if they haven't been preparing for that, then they're not doing their job right now because it's, I think it's been obvious that they need to look, for the, uh, look towards the future for, for, for a long time at this point. So that's, that's like bare minimum baseline expectations that, that they've done their due diligence and that they have those positions ready to be filled and that they can smoothly make that transition. That's the sign of a healthy and competent organization. If they can't fire their coach, then how the heck are they going to win games? Got a, got a fed up fan base tonight. They are going off in the chat. Uh, some good good stuff tonight. Thank you to everyone. First off, uh, we've got 35 of you who are hanging in there, sticking with us You know, throughout this. No Matias Almeida, uh, waiting for Tommy Thompson and uh, whatever we're going to say next. And uh, so we appreciate all of that. Uh, this show, by the way, uh, viewer wise, uh, you know, we, we tend to, to get, you know, 500 to 900 people, uh, on these episodes, uh, that come in and view these. So to, whether you get to catch it live, whether you have to catch it later, we appreciate all of you. And thank you so much for all the comments tonight, uh, positive and negative. I mean, try to keep it clean and try to keep it, uh, try to keep it, uh, you know, everyone, uh, being nice with each other, but, <laughs> Other than that, we we appreciate all the comments that everyone is bringing tonight. I, I think that Catherine's got a really good uh, comment here. Here's the question. Uh, will the fans stop coming if the team doesn't do something with Matias Almeida? Is apathy a potential outcome here that's, that's 
you know, would be really kind of scary. And, and is that what's needed in order for Fisher, in order to be able to finally make the decision and to change the coach? Either of you have a uh, thought on that? I mean, I think the Bay Area has been largely apathetic about this team for a long time, Jamin. I just think that's the hard truth is that this team has not sold itself to the Bay Area market and to all the really passionate soccer fans that are in the Bay Area. Uh, they haven't sold themselves because they haven't shown the ambition and they haven't shown the success. And I think uh, if they start to uh, to succeed, I think you'll see an entirely different atmosphere around this club. And I think it's hard to even imagine what that could look like right now. What's really concerning at this point is that there are lots of hardcore fans who have dedicated so much of their money and time to this team who are fed up and who are losing faith and hope. And that's doing a disservice to these fans because without those fans, without the hardcore fans, without the ultras, without all the other supporters groups, you don't really have a club. And uh, right now, I think the Quakes are losing those fans because this is the fourth year of Matias Almeida's tenure and they haven't gotten good enough results. Uh, in those four years. And uh, that's my biggest concern right now is that you have fans who uh, are the backbone of this club uh, that uh, aren't getting the, the results that they deserve. Yeah. And, you know, and, and, and Jared Charlie at the beginning of the season uh, mentioned that, you know, the results haven't been, you know, good enough and that, that, that needed to change. And I think at this point, you know, if there's not a meeting with John Fisher next week about whether Almeida should continue with this team or not, um, you know, I would I would seriously question that uh, that that statement is being made seriously enough. It uh, it certainly uh, there needs to be that conversation. I mean, you all uh, you know heard probably what I did. You know, when uh, when things are going bad in a Premier League team, there's going to be board meetings. You know, after these types of results, where coaches you know, futures are discussed and determined and decisions are going to be made. Last year, it took a bad result. And when the front office got together with Fisher, the decision was made to let go Jesse Fiorinelli, who had also some time, you know, left on his contract as well. Um, and so, you know, now you would hope that the same conversation is being made at this point. Is there faith in Matias Almeida uh, to be able to, to continue forward? But there is a reason I can think of to keep Matias Almeida around. And I want to get your, your thoughts on it, both of you. The U.S. Open Cup. going to be Cup. a hard sell. going to be a hard sell. Right, well, well, but hang on here. The U.S. Open Cup is coming and is coming very soon. Matias Almeida, two Copa MX championships. He has a greater than two points per game uh, you know, average in Copa MX and U.S. Open Cup history. Uh, he's a tournament coach. We've known this about him. He's not a good regular season coach. He never has been. Even at Shiva's, he had one good season. And guess what place they got? Not first, fourth. And they got into the playoffs and they won through the playoffs. And that's how, you know, they were able to, to get into CONCACAF Champions League and won, uh, you know, the Mexican championships. So look, he's never been a good regular season coach. Just look at the Shiva's results. Look at the River Plate results. Look at the Banfield results when they were first division teams, not second division teams. Okay. He's never been a good regular season coach, but he's been an excellent, excellent tournament coach. And you have to give him props for that. Does this team put all their eggs into winning U.S. Open Cup this season at this point? 
forget the playoffs, forget the regular season, go win Open Cup and go try to bring a trophy in Matias Almeida's, you know, last hurrah with the team. Alex, you're shaking your head no. I'm guessing you're going to say no, fire fire him now. What do you uh, say? <laughs> that, that's a ridiculous proposition, uh, Jamin. I'm impressed that you were able to, to uh, one-up me and find a single reason that Matias Almeida should remain uh, as head coach of the San Jose Earthquakes. Uh, if I were Matias Almeida, I would not put all my marbles on the U.S. Open Cup. And I would actually try to go coach a national team because I still think he has the clout to do that. And I think he has the skills to coach a national team really well and to do well with a national team in a World Cup situation. Uh, I would love to see Matias Almeida succeed in a big international tournament like that. I think it would be uh, really cool for Quakes fans. I think it would be slightly hilarious after everything that uh, Matias Almeida has gone through in these last four years, if he can go into the World Cup uh, and, and take a team to the quarterfinals in the World Cup. Uh, but I, I think that that would uh, be an amazing move for him because this situation cannot be fun for Matias Almeida. It cannot be fun to go out and get embarrassed every weekend and to get outcoached by new head coaches in Major League Soccer and uh, players and, and coaches who have half the experience and half the knowledge and half the clout that he does it can't be fun so quite frankly uh i i i, I don't see how this is a, a a positive situation for him either at this point i i uh, i i don't uh really fully understand uh, how he's keeping his head invested in this project at this stage asher do you want to see tournament matthias badly enough to uh for him to stay until their open cup fates are determined I have a really good friend who's a DC United fan through and through. And the year when they won the wooden spoon and the open cup was one of the least fun. He, he said it was the worst season. Cause he not only like kept on watching a terrible team and kept on getting invested that they would be able to figure it out in the regular season. But then he like felt like he was like dragged along into having to root for this open cup team after like just openly disliking all the players for 34 regular season matches. Um, he did not enjoy it. That does not sound like something I would like to repeat as a uh, fan spectator analyst, what have you. Um, also like the finals in September, like that's a long time from now. I don't see him sticking around through the summer transfer window. Um, I don't, you know, so maybe, I guess the next question is, do we count like a run to the semifinals like 2017? I think the Quakes did that. Is that a, a good Open Cup run? I would say no. No, no. They have to get at least, no. they'd have to get at least to the finals to to kind of uh, make up for, I think, what the yeah. fans have had to go through in the regular no, season. No, it's, it's it's Homer Simpson like driving the car with like the boot still attached to the wheel. It's, it's just miserable. It's it's not it's not going to be a fun experience. Um, like So you're, you're, really out, you're out for Open Cup, Matias. Yeah, like I, I, I don't want to. I don't think anyone wants to go through that. I, I think that we need to like everyone involved in the earthquakes organization needs to figure out where they see themselves um, in that next transfer window, um, and they need to get there soon. Man, I'm trying to have some fun here, but you guys just aren't biting tonight. Tommy, <laughs> the fans are. Michael Peachy with some great comments over here. <laughs> I gotta give give him props. When we win Champions League, we have to keep him for the Club World Cup then. And then 
You'll eat soup out of the Club World Cup using our numerous wooden spoons. Come on, guys. Those are pretty good. You, you know you know who I'm missing right now? I'm missing Florian Youngworth right now. That man brought energy <laughs> and comedy to this team. This team needs a little comedy uh, right comedy. now. Because I remember after uh, – oh, I think it was after – the 2017 season. Hang on, I think we're getting Tommy. Thanks everyone very much for waiting and being patient. Uh, we are now joined by defender Tommy Thompson. Uh, unfortunately, we are running very, very short on time, so we're only going to have a limited amount of questions being asked. Uh, so let's go right I'm into muted. it with Alex Morgan. Go ahead, Alex. Muted. Hi, Tommy. Uh, thank you for joining us tonight. Um, congratulations on the goal, but um, condolences on the tough loss. Uh, what do you guys take away from this game? Now, usually we get the chance to speak to Matias Almeida, but not tonight. So I'm wondering how, uh, as, a, as a whole team, you guys are, are looking back on this result. Yeah, it's, it's a difficult loss. I mean, any, anytime you you concede four goals, uh, you're not going to be you're not going to be happy about it. Uh, it's been a difficult start to the season. There, there's no hiding from that. Uh, this is not how we planned it. And uh, it's just something that we're going to have to correct. Um, we're going to have to correct going into the week. And we got to make sure we clean up the mistakes we made. And and uh, good news is that we're going back to San Jose. We'll be playing at home. So we got to focus on turning things around there. Thank you, Alex. Uh, let's now go to Jamin Moore. Unmuted. Hey, Tommy. Um, 2019, this team got off to a really rough start. And you made some a pretty famous statement to the camera that you believed in the team, you believed in the coach, and you believed in what you were doing. What do you believe in right now, Tommy? Muted. Yeah, it's it's a it's a good question. Um, it's a difficult moment for us. I'm I'm not going to lie to you. There's a, there's a lot for us to, to to think about right now. There's a lot for us to to reevaluate. Uh, but there's still plenty of time um, this year. Uh, there's plenty of soccer to be played, so it's way too early to to give up, and it's way too early to to feel sad or, or sorry for ourselves. We have to start getting angry, and we have to start motivating ourselves even more to to fix this because it takes it takes courage to to flip a situation like the one we're in right now. Thank you, Tommy. And one final question from Alex Morgan. Hi, Tommy. Thanks for taking another question. Uh, you know, there's been a lot of transition in this club over the last couple of years, and uh, there are only a few guys like you who've been around for all four years of Matias Almeida's tenure. I'm wondering how Matias has changed as a coach over these last four years, uh, and uh, if, you know, the ways in which he's changed uh, gives you optimism that, uh, you know, he can get you guys out of this situation, uh, or whether uh, you feel like uh, you know, the team is struggling to come up with new ideas in order to turn things around. Yeah, I think um, Matias has done a great job of changing the culture of this team. Um, before he came, we were in a, a moment more difficult than the one we're in right now. Even um, We had a very difficult year in 2018, and he has an amazing ability, ability to come into a locker room and, and to change the culture uh, almost immediately. And he's he's done a great job of finding ways to to get ourselves out of, of situations. We've had some some high highs and we've had some low lows, but this coaching staff has a special ability of 
communicating a belief in ourselves and each other that regardless of if we're in a good moment or a bad moment, we're going to keep um, insisting on on the same principles and at the end of the day we'll come out um, how we want to come out. Um, so I, I commend him for that. And uh, like I said, there's no, there's no way out of this uh, situation without courage. So we have to look ourselves in the mirror and, and just admit that we have to be better than what we've shown at the beginning of the season. Thank you, Tommy, for your time. And thank you everyone for joining us tonight. All right, bringing Alex back in here. Alex, it was short and sweet from Tommy. I'm not sure we really expected otherwise, but obviously people waited a while to hear from him. Uh, you know, what did what did you take from from his comments tonight? You got to ask a couple of the questions there. Look, Tommy looked a little shell shocked uh, after uh, that game, and sometimes we speak to the players in these post match press conferences, and I wonder in the back of my head. What has just gone on behind the scenes? What has this team just been through behind the scenes? Because we know that there have been some crazy explosive moments behind the scenes and that uh, the players go through a lot in the locker room. We know there have been some, over the last couple of years, some weird interactions between uh, the front office and Matias Almeida, between the players and Matias Almeida in those post, uh, post-game locker room uh, situations. Uh, so uh, I think after that, press conference, I, I was kind of left wondering uh, whether tonight was one of those nights where the team uh, went through a tough moment in the in the locker room after the game, because I think both uh, Abobasi and uh, Thompson looked a little shell-shocked. Yeah, some, uh, some people might have uh, thought I was being a little bit mean with my comment there. I did want to give him uh, kind of the credit because it, it did feel, and I, I think I said this on the last show, if I remember right, you know, who is going to step up and have that kind of Tommy Thompson moment for this team uh, from 2019? You know, he did bring some fire and some passion in 2019 and said that things were going to turn around. And sure enough, the Quakes went on a big, big streak and, uh, you know, um, not unbeaten, but that unbeaten streak did come. And, uh, you know, they won a couple in a row and uh, I think had a, a close road loss and then kind of got things going after that. Asher, it's not clear to me you know, who's going to step up and will this team forward is a conversation we've had on a previous show, your first show of the year, you know, who are you looking, uh, you know, to step up in this situation? It doesn't feel like this is the year for Tommy Thompson. He's, he's not a starter on this team right now, but who is it that you're expecting to see kind of step up at this point? Abobasi, um, JT. I mean, those are the two for me. Um, yeah, like it's you know, Yule's the captain. Um, he doesn't seem like he's. I don't know, I'm guessing, but um, it yeah, it seems like a different sort of personality than that sort of fire. I could be misreading it. I have no idea. Um, but those are, you know, the three for me. I think that yeah, I would say you know, Espinoza would be up there. Uh, but he also has been having not a very good season. Um, you know, Jamiro Montero seems like he would be going there. There's good, talented players on this team. There's young, good, talented players on this team. That's, I think, you know, a lot of the frustration. It's interesting, Tommy said, you know, 2018 was worse. Um, I <laughs> I believe it. That looked like a much more unhappy squad than this one. This seems more frustrated. Um, but, um, 
Yeah, like it. Um, yeah, I'm kind of speechless myself. It, it's kind of rough seeing Tommy like this. I, I made a, you know, <laughs> he looks old. Like, you know, he's still young. He's still young, you know. Tommy, not Tom, not Thomas, but Tommy, but he it just looks like he's been through it this past four years and the years before that, man. And it's um it's rough. He deserves better. A lot of these players deserve better. You know, Almeida deserves better. You know, he really believed in this team when he came here. There's, you know, people talk about that first when he got announced when he like jumped over the banister to be in, with the fans in the rain, him making, you know, barbecue, Argentinian barbecue for the players. There's this side that just hasn't yeah, I don't know if it hasn't been visible because you're not posting on social or what, but it's just like, man, it's not there this year. It's been really rough to watch. It's almost it's almost nostalgic and bittersweet to reminisce yeah, about. Like nostalgia for like a team that won one every three matches. For what, what the Quakes and Almeida had back in, in 2019. It was really beautiful. Uh, but there was belief, you know, we talked about ambition. That was the, Almeida was an ambitious higher um, in a lot of ways. And Fiorinelli, you know, put his job on Almeida, um, which we saw, you know, Fiorinelli got fired. Um, so, yeah, I think that is, there was a lot of ambition there. And I'm sure once Almeida, you know, has a new job, we'll be talking about what this was like and we're going to learn a, a lot or hear a lot one way or the other. Um, it'll be interesting, man. Um yeah, I see Mike leaving the chat. Salinas, like this should be Shea's team as well. Um, yeah, he hasn't been around. He's been injured. It's it's tough, man. This is um, yeah. As a fan, I I kind of enjoyed the 2018 team because uh, I remember talking to um, a fellow fan. It kind of reminded me of Dillon's Island. They were kind of fun to watch how they would screw it up this time. Uh, and they, you knew they were going to screw up every week. This is not nearly that weird. Uh, this has just been really grueling. So, um, well, really cause you know exactly how they're going to screw up each week. Cause it's been the same yeah. story for the last three years. So there's nothing new to learn about this team. Well, for, the new for, for me, style, like, though. yeah, but for me, like the, the biggest, it, the biggest problem here is that you, you want to play this, this man marking style, but the people you have on the pitch right now and Calvo included in that, just doesn't seem suited from that level of, of aggression because you don't you don't have the players to be able to recover and we saw it on the Darwin Quintero goal. The, these play, the, you know you, you when and I've said it before on the show and I, at the risk of repeating myself here, uh, you know you don't have that Florian Youngworth or that Guram Kashia that are really good emergency defenders that when the ball gets behind them or even Judson in some cases right. They're going to do everything they can to get back and be able to, to win that ball. And yeah, on occasion, they're probably going to give a penalty doing it like Jackson Yule did in the last game. But hey, at least Jackson, you know, made a mistake and then, you know, tried to fix it, unfortunately, creating another mistake and compounding the problem in the process. And it feels like in, in, in with this team, like they make a mistake and then they compound it by getting too aggressive to go into the ball to try to win a ball that they really have very little, you know, chance to win. And for some reason, you know, that this is, this is what is going on right now. Like the number one thing I think I would, I would do at the back line, so long as it has to be Calvo and Beeson is I would flip them so that Calvo is tracking a man and Beeson is the one who's the free 
because I think Beeson is going to make better decisions about when to go in in the in the central center midfield on some of those types of transition situations than Calvo. Calvo is going to save a few yes because he's reckless. He's also going to give up more when he gives it up because he's reckless. And then he didn't track back on the Darwin and Tarot goal. Calvo is getting picked on in every single match this year. I mean, MLS teams, he's been in MLS for years. People know who he is and know how to get him in bad situations. It's, yeah, it shouldn't be a shock. No, shouldn't be. Okay, guys, let's uh, let's get this wrapped up. We are an uh, hour 12 in late uh, on, on Central Time. Thank you, Asher, for being at the stadium tonight. For anyone who joined late, uh, Asher is in his room now, but he was he was live at the stadium for tonight. Asher, again, I think what's great about seeing live soccer, and I got the chance to go out to the CCL game with my son the other night uh, as he's trying to learn a new position on his team and, and wanted, I, you know, for me, it was like, we need to see some live soccer. Like, I think it would be helpful to see live soccer. And one of the things that's great about live soccer is the ability to kind of see the whole pitch at one time and maybe see the things that you don't get to see from the television angles that are just following the ball. Um, you know, what did you feel about the movement tonight? Because early in the game, there were a lot of comments on social media and in the game chat uh, on our Slack that there was very little movement, that everyone was very static in their positions and not a lot of off the ball movement. It did seem like it got a bit better, you know, as those, they got a couple of those goals there, you know, there was, there did seem to be that there was more movement, but you know, what was your feeling tonight overall in terms of kind of the off the ball stuff that you could, you could see for the whole stadium and then give us any final thoughts that you have. Yeah, thanks. That was really great to be at the stadium. I haven't, you know, been to a match yet this year, and my first match in Houston, so that's definitely interesting. It's, um, I mean, there's a lot of really fascinating stuff where I remember there was just like a goal. This is at the team's like growing into matches in a way it makes you wonder like what they're doing in pregame. But there was a moment in the second half, just kind of a goal kick where I could see like JT like wave to Paul Marie to like move. Originally, he just like said like I'll move a few yards that way. Marie did it. And then I saw like the defender take a couple steps, and then just like pass to Beeson, pass to Gregoosh, pass to you. I just like the way that Marie moves opened up the entire middle of the field in order to get like a clean, progressive pass. It was like, oh, like that was really cool to see. It was just like watching someone play chess. Um, so that stuff was cool. But in the beginning, yeah, like team looked flat. Um, you know, like the three it was just like Obobasi, Cowell, and Espinoza, um, just like pressed against the back line. But no one really checking the ball, and no one making no one makes second runs on this team. It seems it just seems like they're just like still learning how to play with each other, um, and that's really frustrating to watch. And this team had such like disciplined patterns of attacking for the first few years, and now they just are stagnant, and they're just waiting for something to happen. Um, you know, Montero making things happen. They have really talented players to make it happen, but um, you know, you could see at the very end of the match where they had the ball in stoppage time. And they were just kind of trying to figure a way to lob it forward. And they just, like, couldn't – no one – everyone's waiting for someone to do the thing. This team – you know, if I have a final thought, I think this goes back to an earlier question you had. It's like this team needs someone to be the man, someone to just take the game by its collar. And I really – it would be awesome if that's Bobasi. If Bobasi becomes that forward, it would be awesome for the Quakes. could be potentially awesome for the U.S. national team. It would be great for Bobasi, who uh, – Everyone in the league, everyone in the game seems to genuinely love. So 
something needs to happen. And hopefully this game, you know, it was a rough game, really rough game, but hopefully it's the thing that um, we could point to, like, okay, here's why the focus just took off. And I appreciate that we finally got a really good night of sound for you. I know you had struggled with that the last couple of times uh, that you got gotten to come on. Asher, I'm really happy to have you here tonight, man, and I appreciate everything you do for Quakes Up Center. I know that fans enjoy those Quakes quickies. Hopefully uh, a moment of inspiration will strike you when you watch this one back and uh, we'll get to, to get another one from you here soon. Alex Morgan, your opportunity to hear some final final thoughts from you. Look, if Matias Almeida is not willing to come on to the post-match press conference and defend himself and take accountability, then we're not going to do that for him. And I think it was obvious tonight that Matias Almeida got out coached, that there's another game where he didn't have a coherent game plan and uh, I think it's obvious that at this point, it's uh, just about the end of the line for Matias Almeida because the Quakes are six games in. This is his fourth season in charge, and they're bottom of the table. They've only got two points. Uh, and uh, even though they have some really quality pieces, and we saw some really bright moments from guys like Jeremy Obobese tonight, uh, the Quakes are being held back by their manager right now. Uh, and that's the harsh reality of it. And I think that the sooner that everybody within the front office and within this organization recognizes that, the sooner the Quakes can move on and can improve and uh, can look further towards a brighter future, Jim. Yeah, the word, uh, the word accountability is the big one for me, Alex. I think, uh, you know, that's, that's an important one because, you know, there needs to be accountability. There needs to be accountability. Let's talk about it, right? There needs to be accountability within the players. The players need to take ownership you know, of the outcomes. And to your point, Asher, somebody needs to step up and really kind of will this team forward across the line. There needs to be accountability from the coaching staff. Not showing up for a press conference is amateur. It's not professional. Um, you're paid a million dollars or more a year to show up for a stupid press conference. I'll tell you three people who don't get paid who show up for the press conference tonight, Asher, Alex, myself, you know, and uh, and others on the on the Quick Step Center staff, give credit to, to Fabian Rankle and uh, the group over there. Every everyone, we're showing up for the press conference every every week, uh, the midweek and the post game. It's not too much to ask for the coach to be able to do the same. So accountability needs to come from the coaching staff, and I call in the front office to have accountability to fix that problem. Suspend him, uh, you know, uh, give him uh, fines, fifty thousand dollars every single time he miss a press conference. I think is a, is a good way to go. Uh, that's what I would be doing if if uh, it was on my shoulders is I would be finding him and he can make that choice. If it's worth it to him to do $50,000 to go to a children's charity every single time he misses a press conference, fine, miss five of them and $250,000 to charity, but at least you know some good's coming from the fact that you're not taking accountability for this team. And so I call on the front office to take accountability and to fix that particular situation and to have a, a legitimate discussion about whether this is working or not, whether or not what is left in this season, whether it's open cup or whether you think there's a, still a chance at playoffs, which which I'm getting to the point that I don't. Um, there needs to be some accountability. And yes, there needs to be accountability from ownership. But hey, we can take a look at what's been going on with the Oakland A's for a few years and you know understand how much accountability we're going to get from that level. So look, um, someone has to step up. People are being paid. We're not. Uh, but yet we're here. So hopefully uh, the people who are being paid can actually step up and make it happen. Uh, this team needs a win. They desperately need a win. The last two 
games at least. They've kind of won the expected goals battle, small consolation. Uh, there's only one point in the table from that. The Quakes currently are the worst team in Major League Soccer as points go. Um, guess what happens when you uh, sit uh, uh, Federico Higuain tonight? Um, you get a win in Inter-Miami. And so unfortunately now the Quakes are sitting in the wooden spoon position. So something needs to change. It needs to change quickly. That is our show for tonight. Uh, obviously, I could go on and on about the Patreon, but uh, if you like what we do, if you appreciate the level of accountability we try to bring uh, here on this show, uh, $2 uh, from, uh, from, uh, uh, from you as a patron every month gets you early access to articles. If you're able to do a little bit more, you get access to our Slack. We actually put out a couple videos this week, uh, Nico Tuskiris uh, and also uh, Asani Buddha's uh, actions from the last game uh, were available to everyone. We did that midweek uh, video uh, with, uh, with my friend uh, from American Soccer Analysis, Sean Steffen, who was kind enough to be on with us tonight. Uh, so plenty of content from Quake's Epicenter uh, this week. Uh, so check out uh, all that if you didn't get a chance to. For Asher Cohn, for Alex Morgan, I'm Jamin Moore. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. That's our show tonight. Uh, have a good rest of your weekend and take care.